Come on, Zeman. Hello there, amazing human. Hello, how are you? We we have been entertaining ourselves. We have been, um, you don't want any part of what just happened because you're a damn professional. You don't want any part. I'll just, I just, I'll just say the, the question that I just heard Sylvia or Christian asked Sylvia, you remember when you were talking about putting your thumb in your brother's butt? <laughs> And out of context, it is one of the most beautiful questions I've ever heard. It's perfect. <laughs> the hollow body. And we all feel hollow sometimes. Greetings and salutations and welcome to the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. I'm Kristen Zeman and I am here with my very sassy co-host, Sylvia Moyer. We are both former police chiefs, but this Hollow Bunny podcast is not just for cops, no way. It is for anyone who is interested in talking about life and leadership. Actually, we talk a lot about uh, everything, not just life and leadership. Well, I guess that is all-encompassing life life and leadership, particularly the lessons that we continue to learn about both. And those lessons fill up what we call the hollow bunny, which is a metaphor for what fills us and what makes us great leaders. And we often talk about the, some of the, the, the empty suits or the hollow bunnies and when we find that people are lacking. So that's where that metaphor comes from. So Sylvia, why don't you tell us who is filling our bunny today? Kristen Zeman and millions of listeners, we are the podcast of the people. And today we have Angelina Martin, and she joined the Marin County Press Information Officer team, really the Marin County team and the public communications team in 2023, earlier this year. She had brought an array of experience to the profession, and she really leads the county's social media strategy. She is building a cohesive media outreach and engagement program. She has done a lot of stuff in Sonoma County, really around the Bay Area. Uh, she has a background in finance, which, hey, maybe she can give us a tip or two without violating any federal regulation, giving her a balance of creative and analytical skills that are needed for successful social media campaigns. She was raised in the East Bay in the San Francisco Bay Area of Northern California. She graduated from the California State Maritime Academy, which I'm super curious about and finding out more about. And she's a remarkable person that has energy, a story to tell, and a lived experience that when our, our listeners listen to Angelina, they're going to get a few little things to fill their bunny, and they're going to find out that mindset matters. So welcome, Angelina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak with you today. Yeah, we're delighted to have you and amplify all the things that you have done. So tell us, what what do you mean about this whole strategy with social media? Well, anyone can just post information to social media platforms. And what I have found is I have this numbers mindset and this analytical uh, background of being able to read data and use it to show you where your potential is. So numbers don't lie. They don't have moods or opinions or um, thoughts. They just tell you how it is. They tell you where you've been, where you are, and where you could possibly get. And so folding that in, you can create a social media strategy to develop content through social listening 
to help you find ways of connecting with community members to increase your visibility with this algorithm so that you can actually reach out and into the heart of communities who need the resources that you have available and connect them. What? That's terrifying. You mean we can't just rely on anecdote and kind of how we feel? Of, of course you can, but if you would like to, <laughs> if you'd like to have a little bit of uh, strategy along with that, you might want to follow the numbers as well to help increase your reach and, and visibility uh, so that you can get further out within the algorithm and work with it so that it will um, help you reach a broader audience and more people who can connect with you and engage with you. Oh, that is rad. It's so interesting. And here's why this is so interesting to me is because I remember my whole career in law enforcement, very numbers driven. And there's nothing wrong with that. Numbers, as you, as you said, they don't, they don't lie. They, they, they tell it exactly the way it is. Um, but, and this is why I love this because it marries your background in finance with what you're currently doing, utilizing those talents. But what we fail sometimes to do is, is we, we look at, at numbers and the numbers don't tell the humane story, the, the story of humanity behind it. And I remember for so many years saying, you know, we are down in homicides, violent crime is down. And yet we still aren't considering that those numbers that we have just, you know, touted as success um, belong to some people who have still lost their lives. And so then telling the anecdotal story behind it. So I think there's just such a, uh, a if there should be a marriage of numbers and 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 of, of antidotes, right? I mean, to be able to tell that story appropriately. Does that make sense? Yes. And I was actually able to use that formula or that recipe during the 2020 glass fire. I was a public information officer for a community animal response team. And we had back to back to back to back wildfires in our area. And because I follow the numbers, I had been posting content and it was really good content. It was, you know, um, it had been engaged with uh, our community members were um, donating, but we hadn't created our really big ask yet for fundraising efforts. And what ended up happening is that as I'm posting, I'm watching the numbers not go up, which they should be. I'm watching them stay the same or go down. So we took a look at things and I looked at our page and then I looked at what everyone else was doing and it clicked in. We were all posting exactly the same story. And there was this fatigue that was happening online where people were just starting to turn away from it because they were tired of hearing the same story over and over again. You know, when you hear that same commercial on the TV over and over again, you like mute the TV or you turn it down or you change a channel. That was just starting to happen. And so I thought to myself, I got to get out in the field and find this story. And it was human interest. It was human and animal. And I ended up having this volunteer come up to me and say, hey, do you want to come out with us? We're about to reunite this baby donkey with his <laughs> dad who lost everything. He had worked 30 years and lost this beautiful house. And uh, he had released his four free roaming donkeys. And you wouldn't believe it. We w drove out to his um, property and he started baying for his donkey. And out of this burned bush, came this baby donkey that immediately saw him and started running and crying to get to his dad. Yeah. And as I'm filming it, I'm shaking because I'm crying. And I knew that this is what our community would want to see is that this baby donkey was 
hope. It gave us the inspiration and courage to keep going after so many wildfires and the resilience, the the miracle that this donkey survived and that Dan survived this fire. We were able to promote both Mango and Dan. It helped us increase our follower base. It helped us increase our fundraising. And that's what the numbers did was that they gave that warning signal that, you know, something's a little bit off here. Fix it before it you know, goes completely flat. And when I checked with some of the other animal organizations, I said, you know, were you able to see when the numbers changed? And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, okay, we've got to go on a national level and teach everyone this. I've got to go get this information out to whoever will listen. Because if you follow those numbers, they will lead you to where community members want you to go. This is fascinating to me. This is fascinating. I do. I am left with more questions than answers um, <laughs> about this. Um, what I do want to say, though, is that is you're so right. I remember one day uh, we had a story of a little a pig <laughs> that got its snout caught into like a McDonald's cup. And the police officers were chasing the pig with the McDonald's cup. And no. it went absolutely viral. I know for all of the wrong reasons, but it really made me laugh. But anyway, back to my questions. Um, did this gentleman have a donkey farm or were these his personal pets? Um, he's got four donkeys. Uh, where are the other three? I, I have more questions than answers. So it was, he had this beautiful acreage um, that he, him and his wife had worked his whole life for. They mentored children. They had four free roaming donkeys on this beautiful property. It backed up to a, um, it's not a park, but it's an open space. And so what he did was he knew the fire was coming and he opened up the gate to let them roam free. Oh, that makes sense. There's no way he could trailer them. And very sadly, we were not able to recover or find the other three. Oh. So just the fact that baby mango survived, like we have no idea. Way to like, go, Kristen. Okay, to I go, know, Kristen. right, thank you. Okay, wait, I've got one more question and then I promise I promise to let you take this train right back on the track. <laughs> I understand that if I have, um, you know, like uh, let's say goats, like those, they make goat cheese, you know, like some, you know, I could get some milk. What does a donkey give me? If I have a, a donkeys roaming across, what, what are don? Well, well, what can I get? Is there, is there, what, what is, what is that? Do they just eat the grass? I just, so many questions. They eat. You the can grass. edit a Ted, feel free to edit all of this out. <laughs> um, but what a donkey will give you is love. A donkey- oh my God, did you say love? <laughs> Yeah. That's all you need to say. They're that so is the correct cute. answer. They are adorable. Didn't you watch Shrek? Hey, let's go that, get some waffles. That is okay. That is the correct answer that they give you love. So they're not one of those like like they're not. So my daughter likes otters, and so she got her uh, husband an otter stuffed animal to take up with him in the airplane because he's an F sixteen fighter pilot. And then she learned that even though otters are super cute, they're actually killers. So I'm just gonna guess that that is not the same of the donkey. You know what? So why don't you just mute me and just please just get just get this just get us back on track. I'm having such a hard time containing my laughter. First, that there are pigs in Aurora, Illinois. Uh, okay. Like one. The like one. You know it's a pig. The fact that it took me when I was a rookie, they dispatched me to a loose bovine. And I was like, what? what is a bovine? I had no idea what to do. Uh, the fact that here we are with this amazing PIO talking about analytics and and we get off on the animal story. I, I'm, I mean, I'm I sorry. I'm so sorry. 
A hundred questions. Plus, I'd like the United States Air Force to know that um, this amazing F-16 fighter pilot does not take a stuffed animal in his war fighting machine because that Never. would probably be against the rules. He takes it in memory, right? Uh-huh. Excellent. Thank you for that statement. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to be clear about that. So, okay. Angelina, there's a couple other things that I really want to talk about. One is, can we kind of conclude the the highest, most important lessons for leaders in terms of this analytics and following the data? What are the big couple takeaways you want them to know? And then I want to transition to this real interesting avenue that you and I explored the other day about your lived experience and how that has shaped how you show up in this world. Will you kind of follow that path for us? Sure. So as far as um, social media and its impact, um, my biggest piece of advice for managers or leaders or directors is to invest in a full-time social media person. 40 hours a week, that is their position, that is their work. <clears throat> the reason being is that when you have one or two or three individuals who do this part-time or on the side, there's this whole aspect of social listening that we're not able to create effectively because it's part-time work. If we have a designated full-time social media person, I feel like we're able to um and I'm going to use this overused phrase, but we have our finger on the pulse of the online community per se. So what ends up happening is, you know, locally in Sonoma County, a few years ago, uh, when the budget crisis happened, our leaders were looking at um, letting go of the helicopter that we have named Henry One. So what happens now is that any time Henry One goes out, uh, they post on social media about how much uh, everyone is needed in our community for these particular reasons. And what it does is it provides social proof and social influence from the community so that if they were to try to take away Henry one in the budget again, the community would rise up. I mean, sure. it's such a needed. And so that's why social media is so important is it's social in the sense that you're you're sharing stories, you're sharing information, but you're also providing social proof of your resources, of your programs, of your department's um, connection with the community and how valuable it is and how of value it is to our community members. So if you invest in that full-time social media person, you're basically ensuring that by them providing the social proof that your budget will either remain the same or increase, especially when you're providing that connection to the community members and showing that social proof. You know, this what you're calling social proof also uh, can be regarded as transparency as well. You know, we had the whole uh, dispute um, uh, dissent over the militarization of police and having a bearcat, AKA a tank in my city. And there were many individuals in our community that rose up in, um, I mean, in just in complete objection because they felt it was the militarization. And then, you know, what we started to do is bring it out, let people go through it, talk to them, you know, as you mentioned, social proof, talk to them, post what we were using it for. Um, ultimately we were, we used it in our mass shoot and that actually breached the door uh, and got us to the shooter to neutralize the threat. 
And after that, after, and so what you call social proof is also, again, it's transparency. Just, Hey, here's what we have and here's why we're using it. And here it is how it benefits you. So, and that all plays into that uh, PIO ecosystem of telling a story and being transparent. And influencing for that, you know, that popular opinion and having the community members behind your resources and what you're doing, as long as they understand what it is and for, you know, the greater good. Yeah. And in that case, it's a rescue vehicle, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's really important. Thanks for that. So can you take us down this path about your lived experience, Miss Angelina, and, and really to the extent that your mindset brought you to a place where you are today, uh, let let us in on what you're willing to share about that lived experience. Sure. So in my mid-20s, I survived um, a murder attempt. Um, I moved into an apartment complex, and the maintenance man singled me out, um, chose me, picked me. I, you know, copied my key, and I woke up one morning at 2 o'clock with him standing over my bed watching me sleep. And what saved my life that night was two things. The first was that I was most likely his first victim. And second was that I responded or reacted in a way that he hadn't anticipated. So I, you know, saw him go outside of my bedroom door to the back part of the house, to the back part of the apartment. And I got it from my bed and I, I was going to go find out who was in my house. I was going to fight. And when I got to the doorway, I could hear him back there. I could hear him behind the do the wall on the other side of the door and all the hairs on my arms and back of my neck stood up and I just turned around and I sat on the bed with my back to the door and I had a cell phone next to my bed. Cell phones weren't very common, but it was for my work. I called 911 and I made sure that it could be very clear and known for him that I was calling the police and that the police were on their way. He stepped inside the house with a towel wrapped around his hands and he stepped toward me and he realized what was happening and then he left my apartment. So nothing happened to me. Nothing physically happened to me. But whoever I was up until that point died. That that person no longer existed. My trust with humanity, my 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 ability to function, my ability to um, see the good in life or see the positivity or just see any sort of light was gone. I just was in the shadows. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be looked at. If someone looked at me because, you know, when I was sleeping, I woke up to that feeling that someone was looking at you. You know how you have that feeling sometimes? You can tell someone's looking at you. So now, whenever I would have that feeling, that's equated to surviving a murder attempt in my mind. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be looked at. And so I had to make a choice. Did I want to live this way or did I want to die this way? Like this was not reviving. This was existing. And so I took these steps to get out of that darkness. And the way that I found it was through kindness and through um, doing things for other people. I found that in helping others, I was able to feel better about who I was as a person. And, you know, I didn't want my family members around me. I, I let go of everybody in my life. My niece, um, she and I were very close at that time. She was, you know, 12 years younger than me. I, I let go of her um, because I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought he chose me because there, 
there was something wrong with me that I had caused this to happen. And so over time, what I learned is that these things happen. These things happen, you know, in everyday life. And that by learning from it or using it to ensure you're living out every day possible in the best way possible, according to how you feel on the inside, it's our healing. It's a healing process to go through in that sense for me. That's that's what got me through was taking it and using it so that I can learn something from it. And so eventually what had to happen was um, I I had to learn that it was okay to be seen again and it was okay to step out into the light. And in doing so, I was able to fulfill what I felt like was my purpose, which was to offer that kindness to other people and, and be there for other people, even in everyday moments. You know, I have this yeah. mindset of leaving people better than, than how you found them. And if you're in the dark, you can't do that. And so instead, I just felt like it was a healing pathway for myself. But then also, um, I don't know, I, I guess I was just able to learn from it that way and, um, and move forward. And that was where I wanted to be in this space in my life now. So I was able to find a job that you can communicate and write stories and read your numbers to connect to resources, to community members, to help more people on a larger scale. And I wake up every morning just so grateful to be here. Um, just so grateful that, you know, I, I can do this work, but also like live this life now. And I wouldn't change what happened for anything because of that. I don't think I would have gotten to this place. Wow, wow, wow. What do you think was the thing for your, I guess, your awakening to moving forward? Was it gradual? Was it a professional intervention? Was it a coupling of all of that? I mean, if there are folks listening to this that have a struggle that is similar in some way, what would you tell them? I mean, what was, what did you learn through that kind of finding of the path out of that darkness? Well, what I found is that darkness perpetuates the darkness. So the more you're in the darkness, the more you feel bad about being in the darkness, the more you're going to stay in the darkness. And, you know, shame lives in silence, right? So what happened was I took a step and I, I just started talking about it a little bit. Um, when I first, when the experience first happened to me, I confided in family and friends and told them I knew I was going to die. When he turned and walked towards the back part of my bedroom, he gave me a look. And when I looked into his eyes, I knew I was going to die. And my friends and family thought that they were helping and they diminished it. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We're sure he, he wasn't going to hurt you. Um, and they were just trying to help, but it wasn't helpful. What it did was it made me live in the silence of it and not talk about how I really felt. So for other people who are going through experiences like this, as hard as it may be, Find someone you can trust and start talking about it. Start writing about it. Start processing it. That's the way that I found to come back to the light. Oh, Angelina, that is such a, a powerful story. So help me, especially with listeners who have gone through trauma um, and trauma can look obviously many different ways, you know, uh, but the person who experienced it, experienced it, it, you know, feels it and, you know, very intently. 
when you say that, you know, was it instinctual for you to reach out and start talking about it? Or did you close up at first and then eventually learn that that was the thing that was going to help you heal? How did you, how did you find that path to what sounds to me like peace? It it seems the way that you describe this and what you've learned for it, it seems that, you know, you had to go through it to get to the other side, but was there a time in there where you didn't know where to turn? Yes. Um, I, it, it was probably a long five years and, you know, I couldn't sleep. Um, I, I, I would take these little cat naps and for like the first year after it happened, I didn't sleep. And so when you're sleep deprived and you're scared all the time that, that something is going to happen and you just don't want to be seen and you just try to make yourself very, very, very small. Um, what happened for me was that I woke up one morning and I thought, I, I'm so tired of being scared. I, I'm just, I'm so tired of living like this. There are things that I want to do and I just, I can't imagine them. I can't think of them. And how do I get there? How do I get out of this? And so I tried talking to, you know, a, a close friend um, who I hadn't talked to in a long time. I picked up the phone and just, just reached out and I just said, hey, I'm, I'm having some trouble processing this. And Fortunately, they were like, okay, well, like, what does that mean? And so then it just, it kind of went a little bit further from there. And so in finding someone that I could trust, that was that hand that helped me like go to the next little level and go to the next little level and the next little step out of that dark little bubble that I was in. And so that's, that's really what happened is that I just, I got tired of being so scared and so, um, just sad about, you know, about life. I just realized that, listen, like if I keep going like this, I'm not going to make it. I'm I'm just, I'm not going to make it. And so what do I want to do? And I thought, well, I want to do, I want to live. Like I want, I want to do this. So how, how best to do this? And then the first thing that popped into my head was this friend of mine and I reached out and that was the, got the ball rolling, so to speak on, on, but it, it was another five years, I'd say, before I really felt like I was able to start to live again. And then a lot of therapy and a lot of, you know, like I would be driving in my car and every person that's driving by me, I'm looking at them because I'm on alert. I'm looking to see if that's him. You know, did he get, did he get out of, you know, wherever he was, if if he's in jail, did he get out of jail? Like, you know, is he, is he here? Is he going to come back? Is he going to find me? And, you know, when you are going to sleep at night, you have to be open and vulnerable, right? And I wasn't able to get there because of that. And so I had to learn these steps over time of, you know, you don't always have to be on. You can let your guard down a little bit and you can trust your instinct and you can live. Yeah. You know, there's not something else that I want to pull out of what you just said. So first of all, it it, it, it's very clear to me now why you are a great storyteller, especially when it comes when you bring the analytics and and you bring the humanity, because you yourself has have experienced what it feels like to be a victim. And there's something in there that is so important. We do have a lot of law enforcement listeners, and and hearing your story makes me recall 
all the times uh, that many supervisors said to me, and then when I became you know, a, a leader that I told my police officers is that, remember, when you show up to a call, you know, this might be your eighth you know, burglary report of the day, but to that victim uh, who was just violated, or in your case, the extreme, um, you know, violated in such a manner that you know, it disrupts, it rocks you to the core. You know, but even something as simple where officers say, man, it's, you know, this, it's, a, it's a burglary, but just that violation that people feel and what sometimes happens, and I'm sure this happens in any profession when you just do something and it just becomes mundane, is that we forget the human side of it. We forget, you know, that the what the victim went through. And so I just think it's so important to remind people of that empathy and hearing your story just sort of brings that to light for me. So thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you for listening. I, I have to say that the the police officer who arrived that night, um, you know, he was he was just listening. He was just absorbing like what I was sharing with him, what had happened. And it was about a year later, um, you know, I was um <laughs> I was in a very dark space. Like, you know, I my hair wasn't washed, I had no makeup on, I was wearing sweatpants and I was in like a CVS with my sister or a pharmacy with my sister. And I bumped into him and he was like, I, I know who you are. He's like, I, do you remember me? And I was like, yes, I remember you. And he goes, I think you need to get help. And I just looked at him and I was like, help. And he goes, yes. He goes, um, and he explained to me that the maintenance man in the apartment complex had actually, you know, he had gotten off through the courts from a paperwork technicality. And because he didn't physically harm me, it was a trespassing charge and he he got off. So he was a maintenance man for another complex in another county. And he ended up killing a 21-year-old, very similarly to how he would have killed me. And he explained that to me. And he told me, he's like, your instinct was right that night. And, you know, you need to get help for this. You need to move on. And that is really, I think, was a catalyst for me waking up that one morning and saying, you know, I'm tired of feeling this way. Like I'm tired of having that victim mentality. I want, I no longer want to be victimized. I want to use this. Wow. Wow. We, we talk about this a lot. You're remarkable. And that brief interaction of validation from that police officer certainly did nudge you in a place to take some action and on behalf of your life, right? This one precious life we have to live. And Angelina, uh, Kristen and I have talked about this before. There are people that feel they are victims of something and others do what you did, which is now you've shifted it to, I have experienced this. And that mindset shift uh, is really remarkable. Uh, would you agree that or push back against that notion that that shift can take place. I think you're evidence of it, but am I just imagining this? No, I, I think it can take place in, in everyday moments. So it's from everyday moments of, you know, you're working with someone who maybe doesn't listen to you or maybe doesn't value your work. It doesn't mean your work is not valuable. It's how you see things. You have a choice. to make. So, you know, it's like if somebody says to you, you know, the color purple, then all of a sudden you start seeing the color purple everywhere. It's the same thing with a positive mindset or a joyful mindset or a happiness mindset. It's a choice. So you, you know, you, I wake up in the morning and the first words out of my mouth are, you know, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful that I woke up this morning and that just starts my morning off. And, you know, there were times where I couldn't remember that. So I put it in a little frame 
next to my bed. So when I opened up my eyes, that was the first thing I, I saw. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mindset, it's a process, but it, it's like with anything. So if you're trying to eat healthier, or if you're trying to, you know, uh, you've got a new year's resolution that you're, you're going to lose those extra, you know, 10 pounds, like I am, then it's, you know, you, you take it to that same level with your mindset as well. It's, you know, you formulate it into your everyday life. You leave post-it notes for yourself or you, you know, have message reminders that pop up that's, you know, like remember to breathe or, you know, be grateful. It's it's your mindset from everyday, everyday moments, you know, from work to life to, you know, big things happening in your life associated with trauma. It's for me, you know, it's it's similar in the sense that it's what you do with it. It's how you use it so that you can find your purpose and, and live your authentic life, no matter what that is. It doesn't have to be some great, grand thing. It can just be everyday kindness. So that way, you know, you're, you're living your truth. I love that. And I think what you've just described here is what so many people grapple with is what is the, the, what causes resilience? Why do some people, um, you know, who have, have suffered, why do some people flourish like yourselves, you know, pull themselves out of it. And while others, you know, they just simply can't. And, and the answer I think you've just said is, is that mindset is, is that we're all going to experience those negative, sad emotions, helpless, and you know, insert shame, all of the things here, but that we have to be our own disruptors and that little voice inside our head we can allow to go on the woe is me and this happened to me and I am a victim versus, oh, thank you. I, I lived today and I lived to see another day and I'm going to be grateful instead of fearful. And so thank you for bringing that um, into a, a way that I think everyone can understand what resilience truly means. And you are the embodiment of resilience. Yeah, no, no doubt. So we have an opportunity, Angelina, the, what you, the path you've taken us on has been extraordinary. And what you have shared uh, will likely move our listeners to a place that we're super grateful for. We, we do have a, a standard thing. I have some data to bring toward the end because data is important. You've told us, um, I'd like you to talk about what fills your bunny. You know, the metaphor, uh, how would you describe that for folks? Well, um, what fills my bunny or what fills me out is, um, you know, kind of what I keep referring back to is just being present in the moment so that you're able to um, connect with other people in a genuine, more meaningful way. It can be anything from, you know, I, I was in the grocery store a while back and there was this woman who had two children one of them was screaming her tiny little head off in the grocery store and she she kept apologizing to everyone and she turned around and she looked at me and she was I'm so sorry and I said you are an amazing mom you are doing such a good job and you are just trying so hard and her eyes filled up with tears and she was like I just needed to hear that and I was like you're you know it was just that that one moment where you're able to really feel that this woman is trying as hard as she possibly can. And you're just able to vocalize it and have that confidence to just share it with a perfect stranger. And I've had that happen to me in these moments where you're just hanging on and someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I really appreciated that. 
or hey, you know, thanks for doing that the other day. And it just gives you the the next, you know, inhalation or exhalation to get to that next moment, so to speak. And so that's what fills me up is just being present in that moment. And, you know, even if it's just opening a door for someone or holding a door open or, you know, you can see that someone doesn't want anybody in their space and you give them that space where you, you know, you just kind of look away and you you give them that boundary that they need. It's it's just being present in that moment. That's what fills me up. I love that. I Angelina, I needed you when I was um raising my little my little son Jake who used to throw temper tantrums in the grocery store and I could have really used you coming up to me and telling me that, but you know what I did? I walked away from him and pretend like I didn't know him and I was like, "Who's <laughs> whose horrible child is that?" And I just so anyway, I could have really used that, but no, I love that. That is so that is so beautiful. Um, what people need in the moment. You just don't know what other people are going right? through. Right. And that was Jake training was for the Jake. drama of theater. <laughs> that was that tracks, doesn't oh it? Yes. Yeah. Now he's oh an actor. God. He's an actor. <laughs> he is. He's just, he's a lot. And every bit of him is delicious. Well, uh, I have a few things for our listeners kind of circling back. So what is a donkey used for? According to the donkey sanctuary in rural areas, donkeys are often used in farming and as transportation. They pull plows and carts, deliver goods to market, collect water from wells. In urban in urban areas, they're mainly used in construction, transport of people. They're good uh, riding animals. And like you and I, Kristen, they're obedient, not fussed by a saddle, and have a surprising amount of stamina. Sylvia, when you open up your Christmas present, you're going to die uh-huh. when there's a donkey inside because uh, you've just sold hey, me on a pet donkey. And so if there are air holes in the box that I give to you with a bow yeah. on it, just know a donkey is probably in there. So thank you. I feel so edified because I was like, what does the donkey do for us? I know, you know, I know and we, we have you know, animals have a purpose. You know, bumblebees, they make the honey. No, I, but what do donkeys? Do. What do donkeys yeah. do? Thank you for bringing this heavy, heavy subject right back around to what does a donkey? What's, <laughs> what's a donkey used for? Okay, we need a closure. All of our yeah. listeners need a closure, and I'm sure when Oprah is listening, she's going to ask <laughs> this very same question. And when you open up your gift, it'll likely be a pig with a McDonald's cup stuck on its face. Thanks <laughs> for that. Uh, that tracks. That tracks. I, I did give up Angelina, bacon, but yeah. Right. Angelina, I'll tell you, um, we have a lot to think about. We have a lot to think about in terms of what you've unpacked in terms of mindset, your remarkable resilience, those pocket moments where we might say something, do something in observance of the people in our in our immediate space and give them something so it nudges them, affirms them. Uh, it's tender for them, whatever it might be. You've also really given us that that leadership moment in that space, but also to consider analytics and a number of things. Uh, you have spanned the globe in terms of kind of this uh, thinking for us. And we're so grateful for you spending this time with us. Yeah, Angelina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for teaching us what resilience is and for reminding us uh, what empathy feels like. Uh, uh, We are so grateful to have you here. And thank you to all of our listeners, the millions of listeners that have tuned in today, our little bunnies. We want you to know that this podcast is produced by Ted Madden, the legendary Ted Madden. And the song that you are about to hear was written and performed by little Jake, who used to throw temper tantrums 
tantrums uh, in the store. Uh, <laughs> boy, look at how far he has come. And don't forget, listeners, bunnies, if you like this podcast, just go ahead and, and just click, just just click that subscribe like. Click it now. Do it right now. Uh, tell everyone you know about our podcast. Of course, if you don't like it, move along. There is nothing more to see here. And what do you know about podcasts anyway? Anyway, everyone, keep <laughs> filling your own bunnies and please keep adding substance to others. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. When you look inside the hollow buddy and we all feel hollow sometimes but the lobsters are only in your mind it's a tough pill to swallow but if you're brave and kind you'll be Yeah.